Colossians 1, 16 through 17, and then we'll read John 1, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading from the ESV version. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's welcome RT this morning. It is impossible to exaggerate how much we should praise, honor, glorify, worship our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also our creator. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. May this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, that Scott just read, uh, continues what we saw last time as the theology of heaven. This is what the saints in heaven believe. By Him, that's by Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now the purpose of this passage is primarily, primarily to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. But there is another reason. This is a way of Paul setting the stage to refute a heresy that was going, if they had their way, to wreck the church. We've seen it as Gnosticism. And there were Gnostics who believed that uh, Jesus Christ was a creation of God, that he was an inferior uh, being that emanated from the supreme God, but he wasn't God, truly. He was a creation of God. You see, these Gnostics actually worshipped angels. Don't ever do that. Don't even come close to doing that. You remember when John, I've always been amazed that John admitted that he failed to worship the angel on the Isle of Patmos. I thought, you should know better, but that's what he did. And the angel rebuked him and said, stop it. Worship God. 
And there would be Gnostics that would be quite happy for Jesus to be seen as an angel of God. Well, I can tell you now, Satan hates this sermon. That's how I know I'm getting it right. Whenever I can be somewhere where Satan will be displeased, wherever I exalt Jesus Christ, that he loathes most of all. He hates what I'm teaching right now. We cannot sufficiently praise, exalt, or describe the glory of Jesus Christ. And I, I will come clean with you as a preacher. I don't know when ever, ever, I felt so incapable, not to mention unworthy, to preach this sermon. In fact, I'll tell you, I have avoided preaching Colossians over the years. And one of them is because of this verse. I think to myself, whoever could do that justice, and it can't be done. All we can do is just hint, point in a direction how great, preeminent, exalted is our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I feel so inadequate. I think it's the way Charles Wesley felt when he wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Our great Redeemer's praise. And this is why I asked uh, that we be sung to a while ago uh, by Issachar, who sang so beautifully. And I hope you got the words. Uh, to reinforce it, let me just quote a little bit of what she sang. Uh, you may or may not know the background. A man by the name of Mark Lowry, years ago, 1983, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, was asked to write a, a song uh, as they were preparing for a Christmas play. And so he envisaged talking to the Virgin Mary, what he would say to her. Have you ever had a thought like this? Imagine you had a chance to interview the Virgin Mary. What would you want to ask her? Well, he wrote this song. Uh, in America, it would probably be seen as the greatest Christmas song since Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But listen to these words. Picture Mary holding her baby, and you go up to her and ask, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? would save our sons and daughters, has come to make you new, that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man, will calm a store with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod. And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Would one day rule the nations? Did you know 
that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb. That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Well, figure this out on Mothering Sunday that the creator of the world had a mother. I've been thinking about Mothering Sunday this week. I saw yesterday on television, they were showing the cherry blossoms in Washington, D.C. The nation of Japan gave America as a gift uh, cherry trees that are are planted all over the basin around the Potomac River. And uh, they come out late March, April, and they're out at the moment. But when I see them, I get a heavy heart. Uh, You couldn't have known that on April 8th, 1953, well, you couldn't have known because you're not that old. I don't think anybody, am I the oldest person here? (laughs) Anybody older than 83? Oh, no, no. Okay. I just thought I'd ask that. Our high school band, back in Ashland, Kentucky, chosen, would you believe it, by President Harry S. Truman to play at the Cherry Blossom Festival. And it was a great honor. And I was on the train coming in to the Washington, D.C. train station. And um, I got on the phone to call my aunt and uncle who live in Washington. And uh, Aunt Frida answered the phone. I said, guess who this is? She said, where are you? I said, it's RT. I know, where are you? Aunt Frida, it's me. Where are you? Uncle Millard is coming to get you. I said, what are you telling me? She said, your mother just passed away this morning. That's my memory of the Cherry Blossom Festival. Yesterday, Louise asked me, what did you learn most from your mother? And I got to thinking, well, it's funnily enough, the same thing as I learned from my father. My earliest memory of my dad was seeing him on his knees for 30 minutes every day before he went to work. And my earliest memory of my mother was seeing her on her knees after my dad went to work. When I was four or five years old, before I went to school, uh, I always dreaded those times, to be honest, because she wouldn't be talking to me, and, and I was trained. And, you know, I had my quiet time. She'd sit and read her Bible, and then she'd get on her knees. It was a given. My parents didn't think of any other way of praying. And so she'd get on her knees, and I would be bored. But then when she would come to the end and her hands would go like this and she's just praising the Lord, my thought was, well, it won't be long now. (laughs) But the memory of that, that I had a godly mother and I'm so blessed. But let me ask you, do you have mothers still living? Be sure, tell them 
you're glad they're still alive, tell them that you love them. Figure out then, on this Mothering Sunday, that your Creator had a mother. It boggles the mind. Well, somebody will ask, does this mean that you should refer to Mary as the mother of God? Some do. It started in the 7th century. And it's because of unnecessary logic. You see, you can prove anything by logic. And so they reason this way. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is Mary the mother of Jesus? Yes. Well then, Mary is the mother of God. And of course that led to praying to the Virgin Mary, and some do it to this day. It's best just to stay with Scripture. And it's like Elizabeth when she was thrilled that she put it this way in Luke, that the mother of my Lord would come to see me. That's good. That would not lead to idolatry. But what we see here in Colossians, that we're reminded what it meant that God would become human flesh. He didn't become an angel. He didn't become a plant or a tree <clears throat> or an animal. But he became a man, a human being. Well, now we're entering into that part of Colossians where as you read, you think of John. I do. John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, Greek word logos. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the phrase with God shows His Trinitarian relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is what separates us from the cults. You see, the cults deny the Trinity. Well, some would say the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, neither is the word incarnation. God became flesh. They wouldn't like that either. It was Tertullian in 200 AD who came up with this in Latin, personas. That the Father was a person. The Son is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he came up with the word trinitas. It's a way of describing God. So the word was with God. That's like saying... God was with God. So it shows a Trinitarian relationship. And it shows that the Son of God is eternal. He is co-equal with the Father. Co-substantial with the Father. Co-eternal with the Father. And it shows that the pre-incarnate Son of God was co-creator with God. Because all things were made by Him through him. So Jesus is the Son of God. He is also God the Son. Well now, I have asked myself this question when I read things like this. Where did Paul get that? How did he know it? Well, there is an answer. We'll, we're told in early in the book of Galatians that uh, he spent 14 years away from anybody. He barely knew Peter, James, and John, spent three days with them, and then he was part of the time in Arabia. You could say that God had Paul on the backside of the desert. 
Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, at one time he was taken up into the heavenlies. Uh, this would be an explanation. When he was spoon-fed spoon -fed this teaching by Jesus Christ himself. In fact, when Paul says, we say to this, say this to you by the word of the Lord, it's what he got straight from Jesus. And what we're looking at today, Paul got by special revelation from God. So in a word, before Christ became our Redeemer, He was our Creator. Now last week we saw this about God, that He is invisible. We saw too, uh, to quote Michael Eaton, He came up with a way to make Himself visible. And how did He do that? By becoming a man with flesh and bones. And this Jesus, the same one who was born of a virgin, who died on a cross, who was raised from the dead, and showed the disciples his hands, his side. Do you realize this is what he will look like throughout eternity? All of us will have perfect bodies. No more blemish on our bodies, but Jesus will have throughout eternity. You'll have the prints of the nails in his hands to remind us throughout eternity how we got there. Well, he made himself visible. But there's more we learn about God today, and this is essential to our understanding him. That God is not only invisible, he's independent. That means he's not dependent on you and me. He's not dependent on creation. God has an existence by himself. He's got a mind of his own, a will of his own. He doesn't consult us to see what he should do next. God is sovereign of his own will. We were chosen. James 1, of his own will begat he in us the word of truth. And so... He was not required to create anything. This was a choice he made. There are those who think he's eternally creator. That is to say that he's always creating because he was not fulfilled in himself except when he was creating. Nonsense. You see, the God of the Bible, God was complete in himself. In fact, there's a teaching called pantheism. That means all is God. So according to them, you can go outside. When you see a tree, that's God. You see a blade of grass, that's God. You see a pigeon flying, that's God. You look at one another, God. Pantheism. But then there's a first cousin to it. You could almost say identical twin. Panentheism. All is in God. And God is in all. And what that would mean is that God is in all of us and you don't need to be saved. And that teaching has come to seminaries and Bible colleges today. It's, it's to be disdained. And it leads to the idea that God needs His creation, that He's even enriched by His creation. No! You need to know God is complete and enriched in Himself. He chose to create. Well, God created all that there is. 
and he did so out of nothing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The Latin phrase ex nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing. Say it with me. Out of nothing. Say it again. Out of nothing. One more time. Out of nothing. There was a time when there was nothing but God. If there had been one speck of dust in remotest space, it would have meant that God is not the creator of all things. But God was there, and only the word, the Logos, is co-eternal and coexistent with God. And this means that he is the one responsible for everything. Now, Paul's point is, when he was the Logos, he was the creator. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, even the Holy Spirit had a hand in creation. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Well, in short, Jesus the Redeemer was Jesus the Creator. Make no mistake, Jesus was and is God. But before the Word became flesh, the Logos in the beginning made the decision to be a creator. But now the question, what? What did he create? Well, all things. That's what it says, all things. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In a word, the entire universe in heaven and earth, that covers it. Heaven and on earth. And so, in ancient times, uh, there was thought to be three heavens. Uh, the first heaven is the birds that fly, the clouds. Second heaven, the Milky Way, uh, the stars, the sun. And the third heaven is Paul was taken up into the third heaven. Well, further clarification that you understand, Jesus is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. Visible. That's what you can see. We see one another. You see the birds that fly, animals, trees, stars. Invisible. Well, that would be angels. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, we're told of the angels. He says he makes angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. In fact, Hebrews 1 verse 14 says of angels, are they not all ministering spirits, invisible, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In other words, those who will be heirs of salvation. Do you know what that means? That before you became a Christian, an angel was dispatched to be at your side. And you that are saved can recall, before you were saved, you sensed that God was with you. Uh, I think when we get to heaven, uh, maybe our angel, you see, I've got an angel, he's with me right now. You've got one sitting next to you, behind you, watching everything. Wherever you go, he goes. Uh, and by the way, don't ever talk to him. 
Don't even think about that. Don't even go there. Because you'll get rebuked. And the angel will say, stop it. Worship God. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to even talk to him. But I think maybe when we get to heaven, we'll get to meet our angel. Maybe we'll sit down one day after we've been there 2,000 years and watch a, a, a DVD replay of our lives. And the angel will say, see there? You almost got hurt there, didn't you? I was there. That was me. Going down the highway when you almost were killed, that was me there. I don't know that that's the way it's going to be. But I know this. Angels, God made them. Uh, they're the invisible. In fact, he makes his angels a flame of fire. You see, God can make angels look like people. We could have an angel or two here today. Could do. I just look around. Well, there's Amanda. I can believe that she's an angel. But then there may be fallen angels around here too. I won't go there. Oh dear. Have you ever seen an angel? I think I did once. I think I did. It was in the first year I was at Westminster Chapel. There was a man I would see in the congregation. And one day he came back to the halls. And as I was waiting for somebody to come into the vestry, when there was a lull, he walked over to me and said to me something that I've never forgotten. It was relevant. It was pivotal. And it turned out to be arguably the most encouraging word I ever heard. I never saw him again. I kind of think that was an angel. Well, now, there are two categories of angels. There are the elect angels, and that's what Paul calls them in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. Elect angels, who are they? Well, they were those who did not go along with Satan. When Satan recruited every angel to go against God. You need to know, Satan was created by God. But that became his name after he was first. We're not sure what his name was. If you go by the King James Version, it was Lucifer. Some versions, Son of the Morning, Morning Star. Uh, possibly one of the highest in God's creation. We know there is a hierarchy of angels. Uh, this is why Paul says he's before all things. And all things were created by him, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. I don't know how to apply that, but it shows a hierarchy. And so there are two categories of angels. Those that are chosen, elect, and they're the ones that guard us. And Jonathan Edwards used to say that the angel with you is experienced in spiritual warfare. Because he was one that resisted Satan before the fall. Well, it is impossible to know more than, than is say, said here. I don't think God wants us to spend a lot of time on this subject. But Paul does just to point out, God created them. All things, all things, dominions, thrones, rulers, authorities, Jesus Christ created them all. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
But now, if possible, to even a more important point, listen to this. He created all things through him and for him. Don't miss that. The purpose of creation was for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. Creation, therefore, was no accident. It was by God's voluntary and intentional will and for the glory of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, the 20 and 4 elders bowed down and said, you've created all things and for your pleasure, by your will, you created these things. And so why did he do it? For Jesus Christ. Why did God create you? It's for Jesus Christ. You say, well, R.T., I have a little trouble with that. I don't know why I'm born. I didn't have a good set of parents like you had. And I can understand, I can sympathize with that. But you can know this, that you are created for Jesus Christ. And if you struggle with the fact that you've been made and, and you've had a rough time, whether over your parents or things as you grew up, remember this, for that you have Jesus. For that you have Jesus. And I thought this week of Graham Kendrick's hymn, my favorite of all his hymns. He's wrote hundreds, but my number one. We sang it the last day. I was at Westminster Chapel. I won't sing it. Listen, for the joys and for the sorrows, the best and worst of times, for this moment and tomorrow, for all that lies behind, fears that crowd around me, and the, for the failure of all my plans, for the dreams of all I hope to be, the truth of what I am, for this I have Jesus. 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 I have Jesus. And wherever you're hurting on this Mothering Sunday, you are created for the glory of Jesus. Why were trees, flowers, fruit, and vegetables created for Jesus Christ? Why was Satan created for Jesus Christ? Why were rivers, lakes, streams, mountains created for Jesus Christ? Why the sun, the stars, the Milky Way, the, all these for Jesus Christ. Why were angels created for Jesus Christ? Why did God create a Pharaoh? Oh, Romans 9, 17. For this purpose I've raised you up, Pharaoh, that my power would be shown. In fact, after the children of Israel were set free, on the night of the Passover, the angel through the cloud led them to a pocket near the Red Sea. It made no sense at the time. They thought, we're, we're going to be caught out again. And put them in a place where now Pharaoh could come and get them. You know why God did it? 
He says that I might get more glory. And you need to know if you are in a situation like that now, you're in a pocket. You don't see a way out. Whether it's financial worry, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You're awaiting the outcome of an examination. You, the anxiety is terrific. For this you have Jesus, and this is for you. Why did God allow sin to emerge in the Garden of Eden for Jesus Christ? In fact, the Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so Paul's summer, he was before all things, and by him all things hold together. Do you know what that means? Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4, says the same thing. He sustains everything by the word of his power. This not only means, listen to me, it not only means he's the creator, but he sustains creation. He is right now at the right hand of God, upholding all creation. That is what he's doing there. And so, were he to take his hand off creation? Do you realize what would happen? We would die. Nature would collapse. Flowers would wilt. Satan would take over. He'd take over the weather. He would ruin everything. And so at the right hand of God, our creator is there faithfully sustaining creation. Robert Murray McShane made a big point that Jesus Christ at the right hand of God is actually wearing two crowns. One crown as our Redeemer. We saw this in earlier messages, how we were ch chosen, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's King Jesus transferring us into his kingdom. That's salvation. But the other crown, as creator, he's the one that rules over what we call common grace. So the two crowns, saving grace, common grace. What's that? God's goodness to everybody. And God controls nature. And we all have a certain gift that comes just from the fact that you were born. You see, it was no accident that you were born in the country in which you were born, and the time. It was all for his honor and glory. And so what Paul is saying, that Jesus Christ holds the entire universe in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. 66 years ago, I know the date, I was in Washington, D.C. That town has got a lot of memories for me. And I was privileged to go to the Constitutional Hall. It was a concert hall, held 4,000 people. And here, the voice of Marian Anderson. She was an Afro-American. She had a voice, according to the great uh, orchestra conductor, Arturo Toscanini, said she had a voice that comes once in a hundred years. And I wanted to hear her sing. I didn't know at the time what a historic moment it was. Because years before, Marian Anderson was refused to have a concert in 
Constitutional Hall because she was black. Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, resigned as being a part of the Daughters of American Revolution, and her protest eventually worked, and she was now, that is Marian Anderson, given an invitation to sing in Constitutional Hall, and I was there that night. After the program, I went backstage, I got to shake her hand, got her autograph, but there's one more thing. That night, I heard her sing a song that was actually written for her. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so, Gina, where are you? Where? There you are. Let's stand. It should be on the board. Gina is going to lead us all in this old song. And let's sing it together as she leads us. He's got the whole world in his hands. I want you to really get those words into your spirit. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your
Yeah.